Hello, welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Graham Wilson. A new report highlights evidence that older Australians with vision loss and blindness can keep living independently in their own homes, staying active and engaging socially rather than depending on others, as long as they have the right vision aids and technologies. But according to the report's authors, there are many older Australians with vision loss and blindness who are not getting the help they need. The report, Low Vision, Quality of Life and Independence, a review of the evidence on AIDS and technologies, is by Macular Disease Foundation Australia, produced in collaboration with the George Institute for Global Health. I'm joined today by Julia Herity, the CEO of Macular Disease Foundation Australia, and Dr Lisa Key of the George Institute for Global Health. Thank you both for joining us for Wellbeing today. Thank you, Graham. Thank you. Nice to be here. What was the point of this report and what research was looked at? Well, I might start off there, Graham. Um, The point of this report was really to look at the benefits of AIDS and technology for those with vision loss and blindness and also to look at the barriers for accessing these important technologies for people with low vision and blindness. Um, And in collaboration with the George Institute for Global Health, have done a great job of looking at that evidence across the world to really put a put a line in the sand in terms of for everyone to understand how important aids and technologies are for maintaining independence and quality of life. Very, very important. Just for people so that they understand how a simple aid can help. I mean, if you need glasses, you get a pair of glasses. That is an aid to vision, isn't it? It, it is. Um, let's just talk about a simple aid. Like, let's talk about going shopping. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone wants to go shopping, maintain their independence, buy their own food. There's a beautiful little electronic magnifier that many people with vision loss would carry in their handbag or in their back pocket or in their bag. They get to the tomato soup and they look at the label and they can actually read the price, they can read the contents and choose what they want to buy. So, Reading machines, um, handheld electronic magnifiers, uh, lighting, all of these things help us to do everyday practical activities in life. The reading machines, we know from all of our research that reading and driving are the two things that people most really want to be able to do. We may have a a driverless car soon, Graham, but but at the moment that reading area is really, really important. And the technology today that we as sighted people all use every day, iPhones, iPads that can read to us, computers that can talk to us, all of these things have become the aid and technology support for those with low vision. You mentioned iPads. Of course, Apple products. Apple has been staunch supporters, haven't they, of accessibility options within their their software and hardware devices. And I know other producers of these devices are catching on as well, but it's been big for Apple. It has been a big part of of, of Apple's work. And, And right down to very simple things, simple reading machines that you can get from Vision Australia called a daisy player, which, you know, you don't have to understand the technology um, that it links to Wi-Fi or whatever. You just need to be able to have that small bit of training to show you how to use it and then you can listen to the Sydney Morning Herald every day and you can listen to your favourite book and you can engage with the world. 
And does the Macular Disease Foundation put all of this together for people? I mean, are you the ones who provide the training? No, but we are the place to come to to find out what to do and what's available. So it's almost like a little bit of a helicopter landing pad, you know. People find their way to us, ring us up or on the website, and we have all of the tools and the resources and the publications. We know the places to send you to get a low vision assessment because that's really important. Having an assessment first off, knowing what you need and getting the right equipment is so important. Um, not, you know, the $2 shop where you buy a little magnifier may help you for a little while, but it's probably not the best thing to give you the best outcomes. Yeah, well, perhaps I could um, chip in there, if, if I may. Yes, Lisa. Um, and really, you know, the George Institute worked with the Macular Diseases Foundation on this report, um, you know, coming from a, an understanding that there's many people affected by vision loss in Australia and the very recent estimates tell us that there's at least 100,000 people who have lost some sight and that this is not able to be rehabilitated through, you know, medical treatment as such. So, you know, there's many people affected and we've been talking about um, it's a lot of them are older people and I think Julie's really highlighted very nicely how it's their independence that they can lose and, and the ability to do things for themselves that's just so important to health and well-being. And, I mean, the point you've just raised about um, finding the right um, services is a big challenge and what we found in the report because we, we had a very close look at the published literature, but we also looked very carefully through the grey literature and also just what is available and spoke to a lot of people. And really, it's, it's pretty difficult to navigate the system. And there, there is, um, you know, a very good um, medical management of eye disease and diagnosis of eye disease in Australia, but that's one pathway. And what we're talking about is, an, you know, the other stuff that people need and that's access to services and provision of low vision aids would really um, go a long way to making a big difference to people's everyday lives. Lisa, how wide-ranging is this report? Yes, it is. it's a very big document and it covers a lot of different areas and, and really where, where we, we kicked off was, uh, you know, highlighting the fact that losing sight is something that people really worried about. It's one of the most feared health states and um, we looked at the consequences of, of sight loss and how it's measured and we know that it's it's not you know you don't go from full sight to no sight there's you know very many steps along the way and I think that's what a lot of people don't really have an understanding of you know people aren't blind or or fully sighted there's there's low vision and we know that there's at those levels of early sight loss, that really does start to have a very big impact on your day-to-day -day life. So we summarise the, the impact on individuals with sight loss, their carers and their families. And we also looked at the, the research which is evaluating how people can be helped and how that's measured. It's often measured in, in how well people can read, but it's, it's very black and white that if you have deterioration in your sight, if you make things bigger if you make things brighter, so the contrast is, is sharper, um, you can see them. The things that are small print, you can enlarge it and, and make it accessible. And then all of the very exciting technologies that Julie's already alluded to, they really take it to another level 
and these things are, are available and moving at such a fast pace. The research is not always done to keep up with it, but I think the report shows very nicely from some anecdotes just how these simple um, devices can really revolutionise how independent people are, even when they've lost some of their sight. I think Julie can probably speak to some of the case studies which are so illustrative of, of um, benefits. That would be good. In fact, uh, Julie, can we have a, a look at one or two of those now? Give us a, a scenario of people who have been helped by these interventions. Mm. Well, I said we talk about Annie Cat. <laughs> we call her Annie Cat. Okay. Um, Auntie Cat is just wonderful, and she's she's a very dynamic, bright, enthusiastic person. Wants to engage with her family and engage with the community. Um, her sight loss has been slow to begin with but primarily because of age-related macular degeneration and and just to remind your listeners Graham that and we've spoken about this before when, when you've interviewed me that this is the leading cause of blindness and vision loss in Australia and it for nearly everyone who goes blind they do so well after the age of 65 so that's why we're talking about older Australians. Arnie Kath an older Australian Low vision loss for a while, but then some other problems came along, dramatic um, vision loss. She loved to read that Sydney Morning Herald. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little while ago about, about this. Just engage with it. Love to get out. Can't get out quite as much, the mobility, because of transport issues. And that's another area that you know community services are so important. But having this new device called a daisy player, which we got from Vision Australia for her and put her, put her onto it, um, you know, very small amount in the month. Doesn't have to have the Wi-Fi. It's a model that you don't have to worry about all that technology. But every morning she can sit there now and listen to the Sydney Morning Herald. She wasn't a great reader, but now she says, I've read 10 books this week. Like she's, she said, I, I really felt depressed. I, I just didn't know what to do. I felt the world closing in on me. And now I can connect with it again because I, the magnifier just didn't work any longer in enlarging the print from the Sydney Morning Herald. Now she's able to connect with the world. So that's one example. Another example is a wonderful couple in Queensland who are both legally blind. So both husband and wife are legally blind. They're in their 80s. They are absolutely dynamic couple. They're out there trying to engage, going to the club, having lunch, um, organise all their community services. But they really want something that is high tech to keep them able to be mobile. And they've looked at some of these devices. And so they're now purchasing something that is really helping them to get out and about. And so this technology is keeping people engaged in the community and keeping our mental health well because that is a very significant part of living with macular disease. So this is, from an individual point of view, this is wonderful. I mean, this is like, and and I'll bring it back again to, you know, you're struggling to see the printed word on the page and you get a pair of glasses, your world changes. This is much more significant, isn't it, than something as simple as just a pair of glasses? It is because macular disease is a disease at the back of the eye. Your your glasses will, it's like an old-fashioned camera, your glasses are, are, are handling, you know, focusing, putting the world in focus. But at the 
back of the eye, this is a disease. And, and so it's a very serious disease. And so when, if we can't be treated, if we're past treatment or treatment didn't work, and, and you do have vision loss, there is something that can be done, and that is low vision aids and technology for quality of life. Can I just add a, a comment in there? And I think, you know, those, those, uh, these stories are very inspiring and, and I think we all um, can see the benefits. But yes. one statistic from the report that's important to discuss is that we estimate that only about 15% of people with low vision um, receive appropriate aids and assessment. And that's really very, very low. And I think we've, we've highlighted that many of these people are sort of caught between two systems. They're, they're seeing their, their ophthalmologist and they're, they're seeing an optometrist to get, get some, you know, getting the right glasses, but then they're not getting this, um, this necessary um, specialist low vision care. And what we're really calling for is for some investment in this sector so that <clears throat> there can be um, some, some better access. And at the moment, we have some excellent services. We've already discussed Vision Australia, and there's another major community organisation through Guide Dogs that provides other services to, to you know, people with vision loss as well. But, um, you know, we, we want things to be comprehensive and available to everybody, and that's not always going to be the case. When we, <clears throat> we did find that there's some, some gaps in service, particularly in rural Australia. And, um, you know, I think that if people knew that they could get something to help them, um, then there would be more people would be accessing and, and getting some benefits. So, sorry, Lisa just really outlined that pathway, that pathway of care. You know, awareness, being aware of, of the service and, and what low vision aids can do, getting to a service provider to get an assessment, and getting the right aids, but then being able to afford them. And, and that access and affordability is the key. Can we just look at that step by step then? So you, you go along and you see either your doctor or your um, ophthalmologist or even an optician to start off? Yeah, so most people would be, would, you know, primary care is through general practitioners and optometrists. Mm -hmm. um, for, you know, many, many people get their um, diagnosis, first of all, through one of those pathways. And then referral onto an ophthalmologist is, you know, the person who can provide treatment of eye disease. And that's something that we do very well in Australia. We've got phenomenal um, treatment of, of diseases like macular degeneration. But it's, there is a flaw in the system that people aren't getting diverted over to receive low vision services. And we know that there's strong evidence from the research data that you know, it's, it's at those, you know, when you've just lost a little bit of vision, it's, you know, the first few lines on the ladder chart that starts to have an impact. So I think that's another take-home message from this report is that we want to, um, you know, try and coordinate care a bit better and, you know, get, think of getting people early access to low vision aids. And it, it can be the simpler things, um, but getting the, maintaining their independence before they start to lose things. Where is the problem? Where where is uh, the help? Where are people slipping between the cracks? I think they're they're slipping between the cracks in the in the referral pathway. There's no doubt about that, and I think that's because, you know, not always, but because I think healthcare professionals are very focused on their area. It's like you know, if you're giving an injection in the eye to save sight, you're really focused on that area, and 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 it's very um, there's a very big demand. So time, etc., is very difficult. 
but there is probably a little bit of a theme running through that there's nothing more that can be done. And and this is where it's all slipping, slipping away. The other area is that this has been really a whole area of support of affordability for aids and technology which has slipped between successive reform agendas throughout governments over the last 12 years that I've been dealing with it um, between state and federal governments passing the ball backwards and forwards also between um, the various um, departments like uh, health disabilities, aged care. I can't tell you how many times I've been moved from department to department to having ownership of this issue. And I guess this reform agenda, Graham, has been really affected by um, the introduction of the NDIS. Um, initially, it was to include all Australians. And then when it did come out, wonderful program. Unfortunately, there was a decision that if you were diagnosed with a disability after the age of 65, you would not be included in the NDIS, where you got your needs assessed and a package and a package for life. Now, as I've outlined, the vast majority of people who go blind from the leading cause of blindness do so well after the age of 65. So these these people were locked out of the NDIS and told that they would get their needs met in the aged care area and that aged care area underwent reform. Unfortunately, the aged care area is not geared up nor does it have the finances nor the expertise to deal with the delivery of aids and technology for low vision and blindness. So it's been constantly dropping between the gaps of government and um, reform agendas and, and, and really an understanding. And this is partly also what this report is about. It's about saying, look, okay, here's what it's all about. Here's the history, here's the evidence, and here's what needs to be done. You know, we need a national federally funded um, program for aids and equipment across Australia for equity and access. And here's a document, here's a really amazing report, an amazing job done by the George Institute, um, and that we want to go ahead and talk to government about what can we do? How can we've done preliminary estimates of, of cost? And we really do think that this should now begin to move forward. And I think it might be worth drawing a parallel because, you know, when we were developing this and writing the report, we spoke to people from other countries. And, you know, for example, in the UK, they've had low vision aids provided through the NHS for over a decade. So, you know, and they're at the stage where they're deciding on some of the, you know, funding um, the more sophisticated technologies. But, you know, it's it's something that we've deferred to the non-government sector, which does a fantastic job in Australia. But, you know, I think, like Julie said, in the interests of equity and, and access for, for everyone, having a nationally um, funded program is a good idea. And I think we've... You know, we, we think about other areas, like when you, you lose your hearing, you, you can get a hearing aid, um, but when you lose sight, people tend to not be as... It's just a lack of familiarity with the the, um, the possibilities for, for doing, you know, maintaining your independence despite losing your sight. And I'm hoping that this report goes 
um, some way to, to increasing public awareness of that. And I guess it's actually it's getting into a little bit of the research area, but that's one barrier to doing the research well in this area is that when people lose sight, it's quite heterogeneous. Like There's very many different ways that you can lose your sight, and there's a few different diseases, and sometimes you lose the, your side vision, and you, could, you may get tunnel vision. You might lose your central vision, like in macular degeneration. And so they all have different uh, impacts, and then there's different levels of sight loss because it's a very complex sense and you know, sensory organ your eyes and and it's it's very rich information that you get from sight and it's it's quite a, a varied pool we really need to work someone individually gets the aids they need it's not one fit for everybody it's if there's a few different types and we need that low vision assessment and the provision of an individually prescribed aid is, is what's required i don't think we should also um, forget the private health insurers um, yeah, we've had. Well, we're focusing on government. Um, over the twelve years, I've I've written to, spoken with private health insurance companies, and some have moved a little way to recognising that, you know. Uh, aids and technology are the same for vision, the same for hearing. That hearing aids provided on your private health insurance. Why not an aid in technology? Some have moved slightly, but still, in terms of the benefits for um, for these people, um, it's not there. It's not there in a in the best form, and it needs to improve. So let's go back to something like the Daisy Player. Is the barrier cost as much as anything else? For the Daisy player, it's a very small monthly fee, and you know, for a pensioner, that's that's still a fee. Mm. You know, it, it's I think it's mm. something like fifteen dollars a month, but that's still a fee. Um, we if we go up to sort of probably the maximum type of um, costing you're looking at is maybe an electronic magnifier, which would be a reasonable thing at six to eight thousand dollars. But that's a one-off purchase. Mm. That's a one-off purchase. A person who's got to that level of uh, that level of legal blindness is probably not going to need much more than that for the rest of their life. That's working for them. It's what's going to be the most value to them. But the vast majority of aids are very low-cost aids in terms of optical magnifiers, um, liquid-level indicators, um, programs for your computer, um, a phone that works for you that has accessible features. It sounds very simple when you put it that way, and not a lot of money. So why are these things dropping through the cracks? We can, I suppose you've scratched your head about this so many times. Well, I'm just hoping that we have a new health minister and that, that the, the thing that we need is leadership. Mm. Um, someone, you know, it's not, it's not easy to own a problem or to adopt a problem, and it's even harder to get to the solution. But that's what leadership is. And that's what we need. We need the recognition that older Australians in this situation with vision loss have fallen between the cracks, that it has been they're missing out and it is an injustice. And that if we're a fair and equitable society, we look at those areas where we've we've not achieved what we should have and we start to address it. The foundation is not asking for an immediate grant into the next federal budget to solve this problem straight away. What we're saying is, here's this fantastic report. Let's sit down and work with government to say, recognise the problem, what's happened, and how we can get a plan and good policy to move forward and, and budget this appropriately. 
So there is a way forward. It's just having the will and the leadership and the commitment to this area. How proactive can an individual be in in getting help for themselves? I mean, I know a lot of people would say, oh, it's all too hard and I don't, I can't work devices. Too confronting. What about an attitude change or some assistance at the individual level? Well, I guess that's where we come in. Um, our, the first port of call with the foundation, when someone rings us, is to really nurture them and understand the problems and their needs. And may I say, Graham, I think that is the biggest issue is the fear of technology. I mean, I fear it. I've got to call a grandchild. <laughs> and if you're 80 years of age, you know, oh, can I be... And you've got comorbidities and vision loss. You know, am I going to be able to cope with this? And I think the first point of call is talking to someone to say, look, don't be overwhelmed by it. Let's take it a step at a time. We even have um, publications that talk about this. Take it a step at a time. Um, It may be that the person just needs a little bit of extra lighting, but helping them step by step work their way through what to do and how to do it is most important. And then... The organisations that finally do that assessment and give, deliver them the advice um, are very good. But we, as we've talked about today on the program, we've, you know, they're not everywhere and this accessibility and affordability is so important. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, there's, there's a few little mentions in the report and I think that these agencies do provide a a fantastic service, but it does take people getting in touch with them often. And I think if we had um, greater engagement from the the practitioners involved in the medical management of eye diseases, if they um, referred into the services, and there's an initiative at um, SafeSight Institute in Sydney where they're actually meeting with people who are going through the hospital for their eye care, and then saying, actually, what do you need? Can we help you navigate the system? Because it's really complicated. And as Julie's mentioned, um, they're older people, they're people who've, who've lost sight. And, you know, it's, it's hard. And I think that there's, there's some, you know, we can go a long way to helping people get through things and um, get the, the um, services that they need. Lisa's so right on that. And um, it's so important, very much important. Wonderful. Well, and Julie, you wanted to give a telephone number too for the Macular Disease Foundation. Yes, um, for information care or to ring up and have that chat that we've talked about um, for information on low vision aids and technologies and low vision, just ring one eight hundred triple one seven zero nine one eight hundred triple one seven zero nine, and we'd just love to help you if we can. Well, thank you both for joining us on the program today. We're going to put a link to the report on the uh, program's website, 2NURFM.com forward slash wellbeing. That's 2NURFM.com forward slash wellbeing. And uh, I appreciate your time today, both of you. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, let's hope the way ahead is brighter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Joining us today on Wellbeing have been Professor Lisa Key of the George Institute for Global Health and the CEO of Macular Disease Foundation Australia, Julie Herity. I'm Graham Wilson, and all of us at Wellbeing wish you well.